0: Financial advisor, Justin
1: Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Friday, August 12th, 2022 edition. Steve Peasley is on vacation this week, so I am Justin Klein filling in on this Friday. And I look forward to closing out this week with your finance and investment questions. And the phone number, as always, is eighty-eight ninety-nine chart 24 hours a day seven days a week or if you're listening live that's great too you can call and interact and I love that interaction as well so I've got a packed podcast for you today my main focus point is in regards to inflation and we're going to dig into the details of the inflation figures in um, in, in, a, in a little bit and kind of break it down between goods and services and I really want to hone in on that because a lot of people, they focus on the headline number, but the devil's always in the details. Was it, should have been lower than the headline number or vice versa? So we're going to look at that. Also, the stock buyback uh, tax, I guess, excise tax is going to, looks like it's going to be part of the, uh, the package that is going to pass Congress and be signed by President Biden, the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022. And so on a way for them to or for government to raise some taxes. And the big question is, how will it have an impact on markets and companies? And then the next financial crisis, where is it going to be centered? Hint it, it's probably going to be more in the unlisted market, private equity, private REITs, etc., private credit. All of these things where there's a lot less oversight, a lot more leverage, and it's a lot more opaque. And most people don't really understand what's in it. So we're going to look at what could potentially be the next source. So that's what I have on the docket for today. But ultimately, it's about you. It's about your questions and my answers to those questions, the unbiased answers, just using the facts as I see them in front of me. Now we have some caller voice bank questions ready to play as well. One on FCX, Freeport McMoran and cryptocurrency. So I'll get to all of this on this episode of Invest Talk, And of course, I'll take your live calls as well at 888-99-CHART. Now let's take a look at the market today. We had a very positive day. The S&P was up 72.8 points. And really, this is on the back of the import and export prices that came down. Import prices came down for the one, two, three, fourth month in a row. It peaked in March at 13%, and now is at 8.84%. Obviously, a strong dollar helps that. Uh, But what's interesting is that export prices also came down pretty dramatically from July. So they were kind of sticky, right? When the dollar is strong, then it makes our our exports more expensive. So it's natural to see that. But what's interesting is, although the dollar has kind of been sideways over the past month or so, export prices came down dramatically. They peaked in May at 18.63%, hit 18.14 in June, so kind of a sideways move overall. But in the month of July, down to thirteen point one percent. So a big, big deceleration on that side. So multiple factors are are showing that the inflation has peaked in some way, shape, or form. All right. So that's the market today. It was uh, it was it was nice and bullish. Uh, we're getting quite, a little bit up to resistance. I think uh, we did cross on a close of the week. So, across a major resistance level, the 50% retrace from the move from the highs in January to the bottom in June, and we're probably going to go to that next level, which is about a couple percent higher from here. All right? So that's the market to close the week. Now, let's get to our first caller question now. Hello Invest Talk. I love
2: your show. This is Enrique from San Diego. My question is PBA Pembina Pipeline Corporation. I'm looking to pick some up, and they're paying a dividend of 5.54 for an energy play. I would love to hear your feedback. Thank you very much.
1: All right, PBA, this is a company that is out of Alberta, Calgary, Canada. And it's an operator that provides transportation and midstream services across Alberta and British Columbia. So it's a Canadian pipeline company. And this typically does well in an environment where uh, oil prices are relatively high. Why? Because there's a lot of oil sands up there in Canada, and those are only viable at relatively high oil prices. And so they're they're doing well in that regard. Nice 5.2% dividend yield, which uh, I like. Uh, Now that, once again, isn't the end-all be-all of of, uh, the analysis, so remember that. Uh, But I like it. Overall, it, uh, it has pipelines and gas gathering facilities as well as assets across fractionation, storage, and propane exports. So that's pretty interesting as well. Earnings next year are expected to go up, or this year, up 11% to $2.21, but down a bit 1% to two nineteen dollars next year. It's trading at about 19 forward PE, trading right now around $38. So, you know, I wouldn't say it's cheap. It certainly rallied nicely off of its lows from uh, just recently around 32. Now we're up around 37 and change. Uh, but I like it. Uh, would it be the top of my pipeline companies? No, because we do own some pipeline companies for clients that we think are a bit better. But, you know, I, I like it. It's a, it's a good company. But I would probably look for something else maybe here in the U.S. where there's more production growth typically. And so I would go with a US pipeline company. Now we're heading into a break. It is Friday. And since I'm working today for Steve, I will share some highlights from the KPP premium newsletter that's coming up. But for now, I welcome your finance and investment questions. So call Investstock at chart
3: Why do listener questions make Invest Talk better? Which of these would you
4: recommend?
3: Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. I
4: was curious if you still think aluminum has a ways to go from here?
0: When do I know the right time to take
2: should i be looking for an exit should i be holding here
3: and listeners instinctively realize that invest talk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction
0: i think you have a terrific show and i've learned a whole lot hey guys love your show Uh, i've been listening for several years now and i've
3: For serious investors, it's all about achieving financial freedom. That's why the unbiased guidance offered by Steve and Justin is so valuable. The Invest Talk Anytime listener lines are open now, and Steve and Justin welcome your questions. Call 888 99 Chart.
2: Hey, Justin and Steve, your longtime listener from Switzerland. I wanted to ask you a question about cryptocurrencies. I haven't heard any of your listeners asking it. And it's the following. I have crypto and I bought it using Tether. And I have heard um, a lot of things about Tether and how can it collapse and so on. The question is, the coins that I own, the BTC, the Ethereum, whatever, bought with Tether, if Tether collapses, what happens to my coins? Do I still keep them because it's a pair, then they lose their value? Could you please shine some light on this? Thank you, and I'll hope to hear the answer on the show. Bye now.
1: Now, I, I by no means uh, am a complete expert on the crypto space. From what, but the way I understand it, no. If, if long, if you're holding another currency or a cryptocurrency and not tether itself, the stablecoin, then you're you're probably fine. Um, you know, my issue more is with cryptocurrency in general, and what's interesting is. We just had a, a, a big bounce in risk assets. We've seen that over the past two months from the June lows. And cryptocurrency has gone up as well, but it's been very weak. Very weak. Typically, in a risk-on environment like that, you would see much more money be flowing into a, a risky asset like uh, like Bitcoin or Ethereum. Um, so to me, I think that if there's next, the next risk-off event... I could easily see crypto breaking through with lows. But let me just address the broad. And I do think Tether is a huge risk. I think there's potential for that to completely collapse at some point. Um, and just the whole crypto space in general. And, and let me explain a little concept here. There's what is called uh, broad money and then there's base money. Broad money and base money. So what happens is uh, the government creates base money. And so base money would be the reserves on a bank balance sheet, for example okay that's not out there in the economy but it is a base money for 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 uh, banks to go lend against right They can lend 10 to one so for every dollar of reserves they can lend ten dollars out into the economy and they actually create money. so a lot of people don't understand they think, oh the feds are printing all this money and creating all this money the vast majority of money that is created is actually banks creating that by giving loans out. And they have reserves, once again. That's base money. The, the the amount of money that's going out there in the economy is broad money, okay, through loans. So that, that's the difference there. What happens in a leveraged system, like our banking system, when you have prices collapse, a deflationary event, like 08 you need a central bank that will come in there and, or government, that will come in there and infuse capital into the system and reflate everything. Okay, that's why the Fed is always coming in, doing QE, lowering interest rates. They they have to keep the system growing. Now, in crypto, it's trying to get out of that, right? It's trying to offload what's happening Uh, in our traditional banking system and create a new system. The problem is, is that there are loans within the crypto space as well. And so there is base money and there is broad money in the crypto space. So when people borrow money against their Bitcoin or their Ethereum, they borrow crypto to and, and, and have leverage and there and that's where that yield is coming from when you're putting it into those stable coins. What happens is is those loans get called in and there starts to be a deflationary force within the there. There's nobody there to Reinfuse capital into the system and so a system that doesn't have a mechanism to reinfuse capital into it is always going to eventually collapse back to base money and that's why I honestly think they'll eventually get there we'll get back to base money in the crypto space now maybe that's a good thing but it probably also means lower prices because you're squeezing out most if not all of the leverage within that system so hope that was a a good primer on uh, the difference between broad and base money and crypto versus our traditional banking system. Now, my focus point today concerns the story behind this headline. One shocking chart shows wild price swings and difficulty with predictions. Now, inflation is falling, but it's not happening evenly across all goods and services. So, we're gonna let's dig into the details of the CPI report, which it was flat month over month. Okay, and year over year, though, it decelerated. And that just goes to show you how you have base effects. There are base effects. Are you looking at it month over month? Or are you looking at it year over year? And if you, as we get into the back half of this year, the base effects, remember, inflation started taking off, you know, was, uh, the back half of last year, and that was the talk is inflation transitory, is it not? And so as we get through the back half of this year, it's going to be a lot harder to keep that inflation going higher. For example, if oil, I always use this example, if oil goes from 50 to 100, that's a 100% increase. For inflation to stay just flat, where it's at, that 100%, oil has to go from 100 to 200. If it just goes to 50, that's a deceleration in growth, or sorry, 100 to 150. That's a deceleration in growth. Okay, so that's the base effect right there. Now, it's probably a little too soon to say that this deceleration from 9.1 to 8.5 is something that is going to stick, but let's dig into the details overall. Now, how, what were the main drivers of the drop? Well, it was actually energy prices. Overall energy prices dropped by 4.6% in July. That subtracted about 41 basis points from total monthly inflation uh, data, okay? And mainly that was gasoline prices, which dropped 7.7% in the month of July. Now, energy though only makes up 7.5% of the total CPI. So that's why that big drop only had a small effect on inflation. Overall food prices were up 1.1% in July and grocery expenses 1.3%. And that increased it by about 15 basis points because food and housing are 46% of the total CPI figure. So a lot of this was once again, driven by the lower cost of energy most other things were still relatively flat modestly higher month over month now i'm going to take a fast break here remember i'm ready to take your questions now on invest talk at 8899 chart one of the most rewarding things i do each weekday is host the invest talk podcast
3: i truly enjoy helping investors and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course
1: for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart.
2: Good afternoon, Stephen Justin. Steve Osher calling in from Concord, New Hampshire. Hope all as well. Just wanted to check in on a stock we've talked about in the past Freeport Mac Moran, ticker symbol FCX. I'm looking to add a little bit to that. I do have an existing position that I'm down slightly in. I'm looking to double down on it. It looks like it has decent financials, and the chart is finally turning around a little bit. But I want to make sure that there isn't something out there that I'm missing that I shouldn't be investing in this. So, hoping you can take a look at it and let me know on the podcast. Thanks.
1: All right, looking at Freeport MacMoran. They're one of the largest copper miners in the world now they do have some gold and silver and, and other uh, types of mines but mainly this is a company that mines copper and it's in the basic material space which I definitely like and it has come down pretty substantially from its 52 week high down about 40% from that high and up about, uh, about 15% from its recent low. Now earnings are expected to go from 313 last year down to 275 this year, and then down to 222 next year. So you are expected to see this pullback in, in the, the earnings. So that's the biggest um, worry and analysts are downgrading those earnings expectations. Now the biggest risk here though to me is just simply what's happening in china uh they're a big uh, big user of copper to to build out their their uh their real estate and obviously their real estate markets having uh, some issues uh now there's that's the the headwind i would say um if the chinese economy continues to kind of languish and they don't stimulate uh which they probably won't near term but Probably the next couple of years, they they will in order to spark, uh, re-spark the the energy of their economy. Uh, So that's kind of the near-term headwind. Now, longer-term copper is a vital ingredient in things like electric vehicles. The average electric vehicle takes eight times more copper than an internal combustion engine. And if Ford and GM and all these other companies are going out there and they're building far more electric cars, they're going to need a lot more copper. And so that's going to replace, I think, a lot of demand. And so to me, copper longer term is my one of my favorite uh, green metals. And that's really what we're what we're doing here is we're we're replacing our fossil fuel usage for energy and replacing it with uh, metals that are needed to sustain uh, clean energy type of. Infrastructure and assets like electric vehicles. So copper is a great conductor of electricity. So if everything's becoming electrified, copper is going to be in super high demand. So uh, I like Freeport. It's probably one of uh, the top two or three in the world when it comes to copper investments. I think there are other better al- al- alternatives, um, but it is still a very good one if you're trying to go for kind of the safest copper play. All right, now on Friday, Steve, Generally, it makes time to fit in a quick rundown of some key benchmark numbers for the week. So why don't I do that? Now, the two-year Treasury yield was at 3.248%. That's up just a tad from last week and continues to increase over the past um, couple of weeks. Uh, and you kind of see a, a, a grind higher as we hit a recent low in short-term rates on uh, that Fed pivot. Now we're more in a trading range overall, and the ten-year showing that as well. 2.85 on the ten-year, up slightly from last week two basis points, uh, but down from where we were. Uh, let's see, seven weeks ago that was at 2.89 percent, and five weeks back we were over three, 3.1 percent. So we continue to be in this kind of consolidation range for interest rates overall. Now gold was priced at around 1800 per ounce. that was up from 1773 last week and we're getting a nice strong rebound from where we were a month ago at 1704. but we're still down from 15 weeks ago. we're at 1911. So uh, some good head good 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 um, good movement in gold over the past few weeks and and coming off that extremely oversold level last month now silver today was at 20 spot 71 per ounce and that was up from 1988 last week also similar pattern as gold now oil was selling at 92.40 a barrel uh at the end of this week last week it closed at 89.63 so up a bit and what's interesting is with all the strategic oil reserve flowing into onto the market it's not really pushing oil down too much below that hundred dollar mark Yeah, hundred dollar barrel mark so i still think oil overall is uh, in a bullish pattern longer term now the national average gasoline was at three dollars and 97 cents back below four dollars for the first time really in a long while really over the past 24 weeks was the last time 24 weeks ago was the last time it was below four dollars per gallon California here is at $5.37, also down about 13 cents week over week. In Hawaii, which I will be going to next week, the gas at the pump was averaging $5.38. So the only place where it's more expensive than here in California. Now we're moving back into a break and it is Friday and the podcast is loaded with content for you. So we welcome your questions at eight 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 ninety nine 99 chart
3: Today, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes, and be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments.
1: Welcome back to Invest Talk. I hope you've been telling your friends about our podcast and remind them that it is free. Now let's take a live call back to Minnesota. And we're talking about Dropbox. Bach, excuse me, Bach, how you doing Bach?
4: I'm doing well. Uh, I appreciate you taking my call. Uh, my question is, is about Dropbox. Uh, I've held it in my portfolio for uh, quite some time, pretty much three years. And I'm break even on this current you know run that it's having. Mm-hmm. Uh, my question is, Is uh, I'm already pretty o- underweight in technology in my portfolio, but mm-hmm. I've been considering just cutting loose Dropbox and moving that into a company like Toro. I was wondering if Dropbox would be a good position to be looking to trim out of your portfolio here, or is that buyback program that they have, uh, give it some, um, some value here long-term?
1: Well, I'm not privy to what that buyback program is. Is but I can tell you that Dropbox business is certainly decelerating from its pandemic highs. So it's supposed to make a dollar 54, or they did make a dollar 54 last year, but only supposed to make a dollar 53 this year. And earnings estimates continue to come down for this year and next year. And if you look at its uh, return on assets, it's been good lately, uh, but for the most of its history, it's been negative um, or just kind of vacillating to positive and negative. So it's long-term profitability is pretty poor. And you can see that just with the the stock chart. Um, So, you know, I would, I would be trying to sell it on this. Uh, I just don't have a lot of faith in the business. It's cloud storage overall. And they have a lot of subscribers. They were kind of a first mover. The problem is, is that just think of everybody having their iCloud, and you know we use uh, OneDrive with Microsoft uh, internally with our business, um, and that's that's where you you these ecosystems are really where cloud storage is going because it's just easier to move and track your files um, and share them on those type of platforms. And so I just don't think Dropbox has that. It's just straight up storage. And, and, and frankly, I think that's a commodity type business. So I, I wouldn't be holding this long term, I would be replacing it. Now you were looking at Toro, is that uh, the, the lawnmower company?
4: Yeah, I just, uh, I wouldn't mind overweighting my uh, portfolio in industrials at the moment. I know you were just saying the other day that it's all right to underweight in a certain sector and overweight in a certain mm-hmm. sector, you know, with the market,
1: uh, yeah,
4: you know, the market forecast. So,
1: uh, yeah, I would much rather own Toro than Dropbox. Thanks oh, for the call. Excellent. Let's go to Edgar in San Diego, looking at XLV, which is the healthcare select spider sector ETF. You own it or looking to buy it?
2: Uh, no, actually, uh, my nephew needs to get some exposure in. Mm-hmm. Uh, his Roth IRA, and mm-hmm. he does not have any healthcare exposure. And he's considering looking at the XLV or VHT, the Vanguard Healthcare ETF. I was wondering, which one do you think is, is for a kind of a about 10-year long-term uh, investment?
1: Well, I don't love the healthcare sector overall. I'll say that. Uh, you're just seeing what's happening with the prescription drug uh, part of the Inflation Act or whatever they're, they're passing right now. And it's going to negotiate prescription drug prices. There's a lot of pressure from Congress on getting those prices down. And so if you buy either one of those, you're going to get a lot of exposure to Johnson & Johnson, Pfizer, AbbVie, Eli Lilly, Merck, et cetera. Uh, and those are all going to be very, very, um, I think, Not impaired, but they're going to struggle to kind of grow over the next 5, 10 years when you don't have the government continue to dole out more and more money and they're able to just willy-nilly increase their prices for their drugs. So uh, it's not a space that I would be excited to get into. Uh, Now, you could say I want to gain access to other parts of the healthcare business, whether that's research. I don't love the biotechs because most of them lose money. Um, I don't love the healthcare companies because... Uh, they kind of wrote Obamacare and inflation for healthcare continues to go up. And I, I continue to think that we get more of a, a, a Medicare for all type of uh, system over the long term uh, than something that's more private. Um, so I, I don't like that. I just don't like a lot of the subsectors within the healthcare space. And then on top of that, in an inflationary environment, they don't typically do very well uh, because a lot of them are bond proxies. So. You know, I wouldn't be eager to get I- involved with uh, these these ETFs. The only part of the healthcare space that I think is relatively attractive would be the uh, medical devices. So, you know, things that are drastically needed, heart valves, and and things that uh, for surgery and all that. And I think those are going to say stay relatively steady, have a lot less pressure on uh, those those prices to go down uh, because it's a much smaller percentage of what Medicare and other health uh, providers, uh, you know, spend on. Um, And so that's the only kind of subsector I would be interested in. And you're just, with these ETFs, you're just getting a lot of the stuff that just has a lot of, of longer term headwinds in my mind. So I'm passing on both. Thanks for the call. Now, the KAPP premium newsletter was finished today and it will be distributed to subscribers tomorrow morning. And now I have a preview. Now in the market conditions section, we explain that the market continues to rebound this week with optimism from softer than expected inflation report. Food prices dropped significantly in July from the previous month, particularly the cost of wheat and vegetable oil. And this is according to the United Nations, United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization. And it's encouraging to see the price prices fall month to month. They're still 13.1% higher than they were a year ago. Prices that consumers pay for a variety of goods and services rose 8.5%, and that's down uh, mainly because of a drop in gasoline prices. On a monthly basis, the CPI nix was flat as energy prices declined 4.6%, and gasoline fell 7.7%, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. These price metrics are important to follow as the Fed weighs them heavily when making their decisions on whether to raise the Fed fund's rate and by how much. To give you an idea, before this week, the marketplace has 65% probability the Fed would raise rates by 75 basis points in September. After the CPI number, that's flipped to only 35% probability. So uh, they're they're walking that back and kind of pushing more of a 50 basis point likely hike in September. Now, though the market has had a strong run over last month, it may be short lived as continued rate hikes, no matter their size will stress liquidity It may be prudent to take these market swings as an opportunity to reduce exposure and park some cash as the market digests a tightening monetary policy. Now in the stock ideas section, we focus on a large American retailer with over 10,000 stores. Its home market accounts for 82% of sales in 2022, which we see as a great strength during times of surrounding geopolitical tension. 56% of its sales come from groceries. The company expects to yield fewer profits in the short term, which was, has pushed the them to search for ways to keep prices down for the consumer it has a strong return on equity of 22 percent and currently holding a p ratio of 21 which is at the low end of their five-year range we also looked at an integrated steel producer which is engaged in producing and st- selling steel products including flat rolled steel and tubular products In North America and Europe, due to rising inflation and elevated supply chain constraints, prices in the steel market rose early in 2022. Most of the broad market expects earnings to fall in 2023, but maintain positive oversight uh, as steel is by far the most important multifunctional and most adaptable of materials. If this stock pulls back in the $20 range, it could be a great addition to a portfolio. Now, we name those names in the newsletter. There's a good deal of valuable information in the KAPP Premium Newsletter, and when you subscribe to InvestTalk at InvestTalk.com, you will receive the newsletter each Saturday morning via your inbox. Subscribe at InvestTalk.com. Now, let's pivot over to another important news item in regards to the inflation, what are they called? Inflation Reduction Act of 2022. And that is the excise tax on stock buybacks. And the legislation would tax publicly traded companies that repurchase their shares starting on January 1st at a 1% of the fair market rate. Now it's going to be net buyback, So this is not including uh, the shares that are issued during the year. So a lot of times, Companies will issue shares to management to employees in order to uh, for compensation. And if you buy back those shares, then you're not part of the excise tax. But it But if anything above a million dollars more than that, that's when that one percent kicks in. Now, S and P 500 companies bought back an estimated 281 million shares in the first quarter. Now, it's dipped a bit here in the second quarter to 175 mil- billion so far. But over the last 10 years, S and P 500 companies have bought back. Over 6.2 trillion dollars in shares. So think about it, over a decade, roughly so that would be about 62 billion dollars in uh, in uh, tax that will be brought in uh, by this this excise tax. And that would, that 6.2 trillion dollars is enough to buy Apple, Microsoft, and Alphabet combined. Now, roughly four and five financial and material companies ha- have buy back their shares. Two thirds of companies in tech, staple, consumer staples, industrial, and consumer discretionary sectors buy back their shares. Uh, but in the utility, energy, and real estate sectors, only about a third of those buy back their shares. So you can kind of see which sectors that's going to weigh most heavily on financials, materials. Okay. Now, most companies in the S&P 500 reported at least some buyback over the past year, but 27 account for half of the total spending. top five apple 91 billion alphabet 54 billion meta platforms facebook 53 billion microsoft 32 billion and bank of america 21 billion so uh for example apple reportedly purchased 653 million shares over the last year but issued 106 so net if you take them at the $130 price that it is now, that they spent $71.6 billion on net buybacks. So they would pay about a $700 million tax bill because of that. Now, how much would this is expected to raise over the next 10 years? $70 billion. So a decent chunk. Now, companies could pull back on purchases, and that would certainly affect markets a bit. uh, But Mostly at the margins, because I still think there's, there's a, a very good reason. It's not large enough to, I think, change the calculus dramatically. I think it's going to be more at the margins where companies are going to be maybe slightly more hesitant to buy back shares and get above that, that million dollar mark and start to pay that tax. Now, Goldman Sachs estimates the buyback tax alone could reduce S&P 500 per share earnings by about 0.5% if they don't alter their buyback patterns, but they likely will. To some degree, now the whole idea is to push them to spend more on employees, on uh, investing in their business, etc. And that's wh- what's really going to—that's uh, really what they're—they're they're trying to do. Uh, but whether they'll actually fall through on that, we shall see. And you know, they could also repeal this part as well. I think if it has a large impact. Now let's swing back to the Best Talk Voice Bank for a call that came in earlier from a listener in New Jersey.
2: Hey, Steve or Justin. This is Dan Collins from New Jersey. I had a question about Adobe ADBE. Uh, I know that that tech has temporarily gone out of style. I know that Adobe had quite a dot com 2.0 style burst over the last year or two, but I'm still looking at it just because they have a sticky ecosystem, a lot of loyal customers. People have to use the Adobe suite. I also know that they have outstanding free cash flow, low debt. This great net income quarter over quarter. So it seems like one to, to keep an eye out for. I was waiting for it to get down to about 380, but it's had a recent, recent spike. So I'm curious if you think this is one to, to load up on now and just keep dollar cost averaging into, wait for it to go back down or maybe avoid altogether. So appreciate any of your guidance and insight and looking forward to hearing it on the pod. Take care.
1: We're looking at adobe and what i will say is you are certainly looking at a a very solid company with a great platform like you said a lot of their a lot of their software suite are necessary tools and especially in the creative space and they move their business to more subscription service uh, over the the long term which is going to make it uh less cyclical and i think the market uh certainly likes that the issue though is that uh, in, in a down and they haven't tested this model in a down economy uh, where employees are laying off people and they're paying for less subscriptions for software services like Adobe. And I think that is something Microsoft's uh, starting to see. Uh, and Adobe will see that as well. And you're already seeing earnings expectations for this year and next year fall. Um, Now, technically, it did hit major support right around $356 and bounced nicely off of it so far. Uh, But ultimately, I would like this closer to $275. So that's my mark there because it's still trading at pretty expensive valuation, uh, about about 13 times uh, sales, which is pretty expensive in my book. Uh, I would like this closer to the high single digits. its uh, where it typically has been cheap before and we're not quite there yet. But at 275, I think we would be. So good company to have on your watch list. And I like that you're looking at it, uh, but I, I do see another leg down. I think we are this is our bear market rally, especially in the techier, growthier type of names. And we've seen that over the past couple of months and Adobe got caught up in that. But we're going to have likely a grind lower. I don't think we've gotten to full capitulation. There's still a lot of people uh, speculating on meme stocks and AMC, et cetera. So uh, that ha- they haven't broken the spirit. The market hasn't broken the spirit of the speculator. And that means likely this will have another down move over the next couple of years. And at 275, that's when I would get excited to pick it up. Thanks for the call. This is Invest Talk and the weekend is here, or almost here, but I've got time for at least one more call. So if you have a question, give us a call now at 888-99-CHART.
3: The markets react to uncertainty. Are you prepared? Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Your financial future depends on the answers to those questions. Justin Klein is here now and ready to talk with you. Call InvestTalk. 99
1: chart.
2: Oh hi, Justin. I'd like to you know what is your opinion on Plug Power and Fuel Cell. Thank you. Bye.
1: These are story stocks. These are companies that d- have never made money. They always, they always just basically issue shares and dilute shareholders into oblivion. Uh, plug Power continues to lose money and issue more shares. Fuel Cell also continues to. Pl- uh, 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 lose money and sell more shares. So both of them are money losers, terrible businesses, and the epitome of story stocks. And they've been story stocks for not just a few years, but a few decades. And they've never been able to apply their technology in an economic fashion, economically viable fashion, let's say that. So both of these are bad investments. Thanks for the call. Now, lastly, let's touch on where maybe the epicenter of the next financial crisis. Now, doesn't mean it has to be tomorrow or next month or even next year. But 08 saw a huge crisis, a huge turmoil uh, surrounding subprime mortgages. But the most recent egregious misallocation of capital is in the unlisted equity space. $9.8 trillion have been put into unlisted equity, private equity, early-stage venture funding over the past decade. And... It creates. It, there's a lot of problems with it. A lot of overvaluation, optimistic assumptions, aggressive accounting, and super high debt levels driven by low interest rates. And first off, private equity, private investments are illiquid. So this isn't like a stock that you can go and trim your position or uh, just liquidate it on a whim. There's usually times where you can sell it, and oftentimes that price that you can sell it at is very different than what they're saying to you on the statement, okay? And what you were, most most investors were anticipating for the price that they could sell it at. Now, investors can get exposed to forced stress sales and be trapped and not being able to get out of it and put that money into other things. So it's double whammy because you also have opportunity costs for that cash to be invested elsewhere. Now, second, the lack of market pricing means valuations are kind of up to models that these fund managers are coming up with. And there's a lot of, they starting to become a lot of down rounds uh, of, of uh, valuation. One is Klarna, for example, 2021, they were valued at 46 billion. And as of 2022, they were at 800 million, oh, excuse me, 6.7 billion. So 46 billion to 6.7 billion billion and you see that with Uber, we work a lot of down rounds. And there's a lot of conflicts of interest too within the industry. And what happens is one private equity fund will trade with another private equity fund two of their more distressed businesses. And it will transact at this what it looks like their you know relatively high price but all they're doing is trading one problem for another and doing each other a favor. So it looks like it was transacted at this high high price, but in reality, there was this conflict that was really driving uh, the, those trades. And their trades are so infrequent that valuations typically lag the public markets. Now, private equity originally focused on long holding periods, uh, about strong cash flows, uh, undervalued, buying undervalued shares, low operating risk, but Almost all of that is, a lot of that is gone. Uh, There's way too much leverage and it's focused a lot on things like internet platforms or software as opposed to hard assets like real estate, plant and equipment. So even if the business doesn't do very well, there's not a whole lot of tangible assets to back up the business. So the recovery values are going to be very, very low. And uh, a lot of these non-profitable cash flow negative enterprises were dependent on continuously raising capital. And when capital dries up, that becomes a bigger problem. And so uh, lastly, there's a lot of shadow banking after 2008 because it was focused on the the, the the banks couldn't take the risk. So somebody was willing to take the risk. And so there's a lot of uh, securitized debt within the private equity space, the non-bank credit lending space, and that's where a lot of issues are going to uh, crop up. So. If you're invested in that space, you have private equity, you have private REITs, things like that. You need to be very wary. Don't be putting more money in. And I would be thinking about pulling as much money out as you can before you know you're 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 rushing out with everybody else. Okay. Now I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program and week. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads and our official Invest Talk download count crossed over 44 million last week. And we couldn't do this without your support. So we thank you. And you can get your Invest Talk podcast episodes anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night.
0: Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them.